Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, it's spooky hotels. Sometimes the intros are thought out, and sometimes they aren't. It's Estes Park, Colorado, and uh, Austin, Texas. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two, season four, 4.02 of the show Small Town Secrets. And actually, the irony of that intro is that it was planned out. I've been thinking about doing that for for two weeks, so it's all it's all facade, everyone. It's all facade. But uh, I'm actually kind of happy to be here right now 
we had no internet for two days uh, after many calls back and forth with Spectrum. I had to go in and get a new uh, router modem all-in-one thing. Hook it up, didn't work. All this stuff didn't work. They finally were like, hey, we have to send somebody out. We can't send somebody out until Saturday. This is like Thursday afternoon. So I just start backtracing the connection from the modem to the wall to the box outside. And I'm like, well, let's see how far I can go back until I can find something that's bad. And it turned out just to be the, the splitter, uh, the main, as the splitter to the cable that comes off the pole into the house was bad. So all I had to do was go buy one of those and replace it. And now everything was good and they don't have to come and I don't have to wait till Saturday to have internet. I can have internet access tonight and was able to go back and uh, take all day Friday, all day today, and uh, catch up on research and I'm going to have uh, internet to uh, upload the show tonight. So it's going to come out as scheduled, hopefully. Knock on wood. I know this is real wood. This is like particle board. But, you know, we'll get on it. Um, Tonight we are doing some good old, just some good old ghost, ghost story stuff with two haunted hotels. The first one, of course, being the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. And the other one will be in uh, Austin, Texas, which is, yes, I know it's kind of a cheat. It's not really a small town. Its population is under a million, though, so I'm going to let it slide. And uh, we're going to talk about the Driscoll Hotel uh, tonight. That's what is on the docket. Uh, one of these hotels I've been to, I've spent the night in. That's the Stanley, the other one I have never seen. But So I will have some stories of my own to share. Uh, nothing happened, nothing paranormal. Uh me and my buddy did buy a very expensive bottle of Windex in Estes Park. I'll, I'll talk about it when we get there. But that's it. Just want to let everyone know, hopefully on or around July 1st, I will have Patreon ready to go. Uh, I The plan was to record the bonus episode after this episode. Since it's a smaller episode, I'm like I should be able to you know just sit down and do that real quick at the end of it. But I'm reading a book for this first one. And I haven't gotten through it yet, and having to deal with the internet for the last two days has kind of taken a chunk out of my time. But I'm still furlonged until the end of July, so I still have nothing but time. I'm like, oh, I'll just do it another day. So Patreon is still on track to come out at the beginning of July. That first episode of STS Backroads, which will be the exclusive uh, uh, Patreon podcast about Black Eyed Kids, is will be in the back here in a couple of days. And we'll see how all that goes. Um, I'm not going to bore everybody with it now, but if you've listened to the last episode, I go through uh, the three tiers, $1 tier, $2 tier, $3 tier, and uh, but I'll keep everyone posted. Check out social media, and you can see what all that's going to entail and what all that's going to be. But let's go ahead, a couple of promos here to play, one from uh, old friend Super Media Brothers, and one from a new show, from the ashes of an old show, on on uh, Straight Up Strange Productions, Happily Haunted Ever After, which I believe will be out July 1st, which is hopefully the same day I launch Patreon. So we're going to take a listen to those two, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Hey, Milton. Hey, Bailey. What's your favorite cryptid? Oh, that's easy. It's the Mothman. He just shows up 
warns you of danger, and then just leaves. It's literally me at any party. What about you? My favorite is Bigfoot. She's real hard to track down, and much like me during quarantine, she's real hairy. If you love all things strange and obscure, then you will love the Happily Ever Haunted podcast. My wife, Bailey, and my husband, Milton, cover all things paranormal and beyond in a fun and entertaining way. You can find our podcast on your favorite podcast app this July. And remember, those that haunt together, stay together. Midnight Agent Raw and I'm Okami. We are the Super Media Bros Podcast, and each week we give a comedic take on all forms of entertainment such as movies, music, video games, television, and much more. So put your shades on and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Shades on, we're all. All right, so I'm not going to bury the lead. I'll tell everyone the uh, Windex story real quick. So when I moved out to California, I brought a buddy with me. He came. He drove out with me. We stayed at the Stanley. We did all this other stuff. And then he spent the weekend in Cali. And then Monday, I drove him to uh, a deserted Oakland airport. It was like a Monday. No one was there. We were the only people in the airport. It was so weird. And uh, and uh, he flew back. But anyway, on the ride out there, on the drive out there, you know, you go through all of these cities, you know, all these states and stuff, and you stop for gas a lot. And, um, you know, every time we stopped for gas, I was going to be like, I need to wash the windshield. I need to wash the windshield. And every time we'd stop for gas, I would forget to wash the windshield. So that by the time we had gotten to Colorado, it was uh, a, a horrible windshield. And my friend couldn't stand it anymore. So we were in town. We had just gotten in town. And he was like, we need, I, he, he, for some reason, he, he got so obsessed about this windshield and we had to take care of it. So not knowing anything about Estes Park at the time, I just Googled or I just got on my phone and went to Maps and just typed in convenience store. And we found some, you know, mom and pop, no name store on the edge of town, edge of town. And went there, and we bought uh, the little bottle of Windex. Not like the big one. It was a little four-ounce bottle and some paper towels. And he bought it because he was the one that wanted to wash the windshield so bad. And it cost him $9 for a four-ounce bottle, for four bottle of Windex and some paper towels. And then, smash cut to that night when we we're taking the ghost tour at the Stanley, and we're underground, and they are talking about how uh, the tunnels have always been unsafe. There's tunnels under the Stanley and actually go underneath town. We'll talk about it. But now they're really unsafe because when the Safeway came in the town, they blasted to make, you know, to pave the way for that construction. I was sitting there and just like, oh, there's a there's a Safeway in town the entire time where we probably could have got Windex for, you know, next to nothing. But, yeah, there you go. I hope I hope everyone was excited to hear it as I was to tell it. But I did spend a night at the Stanley, and it is one of the coolest places I've probably ever been. We've talked about it before. If you go back and listen to uh, episode, I want it would be two oh nine, the second part of the Mothman prophecies. 
Uh, I interview Carl Pfeiffer and Connell Randall of Hell Your Fame. And of course, they did the wonderful YouTube series, uh, Spirits of the Stanley, where they, you know, developed the Estes Method and did extensive investigations of the grounds. And uh, I'm going to link that in the show notes so that if people want to go back and see their YouTube, you know, get an easy link to that, to those YouTube videos, it'll be in the show notes, it'll be on the website. But let's talk about the Stanley Hotel. The town of Estes Park is a quaint place with a population of 6,352, estimated. The small town is tucked high up on a mountain and was a place for members of the Arapaho tribe to gather and spend time during the summer. It was named after early settler Joel Estes. In 1903, a road was constructed from nearby Loveland, which is where Carl Pfeiffer lives, and I will let everyone know, no good burger joint in Loveland, and he will attest to it. Uh, but the road went from Loveland to Estes Park. With the help of Freeland Oscar, F.O., Stanley, of Stanley Steamers, he also invented, uh, I don't remember exactly what it's called off the top of my head, it was like a dry plate for photography, which just changed the way photography, you know, could be made back in back around the turn of the century, and then he went on to invent Stanley Steamers, which are essentially steam-powered cars that didn't end up, you know, they didn't stand the test of time, but for 20 or so years, they were they were the way to get around. But Stanley and his steamers uh, would help modernize Estes Park pretty quickly, help substantiate it pretty rapidly in the early 1900s. In 1909, Mr. Stanley would build the now-famed Stanley Hotel, a hotel that now has a reputation of being one of the most haunted hotels in the country, just as Stephen King. And I did ask Stephen King on Twitter if he wanted to come on the show and talk about it. Uh, he must have been busy. He didn't get back with me. Stanley started spending time in Estes Park, due in large part that he had contracted tuberculosis. The treatment for TB at the time was dry, fresh air and a hearty diet. It was well known that the Rocky Mountain air was perfect for such a treatment. In 1907, Stanley seemed to have recovered and decided to help make Estes Park a resort town. He built and opened the Stanley on the 4th of July in 1909. The early years of the Stanley got off to a rocky start. Just shy of two years after the hotel opened, an explosion rocked the west end of the building. The Stanley mainly ran off of electricity from its own power station, but the station was a little underpowered, and it could not... Uh, could not power the entire hotel. So some gas lines had to be installed. They were installed on June 24th. On June 25th, 1911, the day after the pipes were installed, a chambermaid named Elizabeth Wilson, or maybe Lizzie Leitenberger, um, I used, I finally used newspapers.com and I looked up an article, which is also, actually, if you go to the Wikipedia page, the article is also quoted on the Wikipedia page, which is kind of a weird coincidence, and I didn't even notice it. And in that article, it's kind of talking about the aftermath and how much it's going to cost. They call her Lizzie Leitenberger, but it's kind of well-known, it's kind of more well-known that her name was Elizabeth Wilson, so I'm going to go with that for the rest of this. She went up to room 217 on the second floor to light some of the new gas lights. Unbeknownst to her, a leaky pipe filled the space between the floors with acetylene gas. As soon as Elizabeth lit the match, an explosion rocked the hotel. 
The explosion destroyed the floor beneath her, sending her, debris, and contents of the room down into the dining room. Elizabeth broke both of her ankles in the fall and was taken to a hospital in nearby Longmont, which I've also been to. A few other people had minor injuries and fortunately there were no deaths. Stanley would sell the hotel in 1926 to a private company, uh, but later that company failed and in 1929 he bought it back so that he could turn around and sell it again in 1930. The hotel was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 1977. And I believe that there is not a quote, but he used to say that the hotel was just something he bought or started just to do it. It didn't really, he actually lost money on the deal and he kind of just did it as a passion project. So eventually, obviously, like he wanted to kind of sell it and turn around to people that knew how to run hotels, which eventually he did do. It just took him a little bit. The Stanley would soldier on through the years. It would close in the winters until 1983. It would be in 1974 when a budding author stayed in room 217. That would bring the Stanley and his ghostly stories to the forefront. In September of 1974, Stephen King and his wife Tabitha were staying at the Stanley in room 217. The hotel was closing for the winter the next day, and they were the only guests in the whole building. Sound familiar? That night, King had a nightmare of his son running through the halls being chased by fire hoses. After he woke up in a cold sweat and had a cigarette, he had his inspiration for The Shining. Since then, uh, many stories of strange activity have come out about the Stanley. And uh, I don't know if they still do it now, but when I stayed there, there was a channel on TV that literally just played The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, on a loop, like over and over again. Didn't play the remake, that's what actually started at the hotel, but played that one. Um, and that's another little, I just want to ramble for a little bit. If you get a chance to watch the Room 217 documentary, it used to be on Netflix, I bet it's still on Netflix. It's all about that story, and it's just a fascinating thing to watch. You know, they talk about how, like, uh, the hotel in the movie, which is not the Stanley, like, it, that was a, a set on the outside, they had, the exteriors were a hotel up in Oregon. You know, they talk about how, if you pay attention... The layout of the hotel makes no sense. Like, um, my favorite one is the very beginning when Jack Nicholson is going in for his interview and he's taken into uh, Ulrich's office, which is an office in the center of the lobby behind the front desk, but somehow it has a window behind Ulrich and his, you know, behind his desk and everything that shows the outside, which it can't because it's not against the wall that's on the outside. Um, but you don't notice that until you, unless you really sit down and look at it. Things like that. It's just it's a fun documentary. Things like how the ballroom, like there's no possible way to get to the ballroom in the movie until the ballroom is needed, then all of a sudden it's just just there. Stuff like that. Uh, a little bit of a tangent, but wanted to get on to it. Uh, there's also a pet cemetery on the premises. I did not know this until I started looking into this for this episode, which may have somewhat inspired King's book, Pet Cemetery. In the cemetery are the graves of a bunch of animals, but two in particular that are reported to haunt the hotel. Comanche is a white ghost cat that has been seen by many a guest. And there's also a golden retriever named Cassie who has said the paw at hotel doors in the morning. But we're not done with uh, room 217. Many have reported seeing a ghostly chambermaid in the room. Could this be Elizabeth? Even though she did not die in the explosion, it took 
hours to rescue her from the rubble. Could this massive force of kind of negative and stressful energy somehow have imprinted itself into room 217? Or are we just seen another specter of a chambermaid? It has been said that Elizabeth was always fond of married couples, and that if you stay in 217 and you're not married, then you may have someone watching your every move that night. Uh, she's also not a huge fan of single men. Single men staying in the room have reported waking up in the morning and finding their bags packed and outside the door. 217 is not the only haunted room in the hotel. When the hotel opened, the fourth floor was just a big open space uh, for female employees, children, and their nannies to stay. In 401, you can hear the footsteps and giggling of small children. Also in 401, the closet door has a tendency to open and close on its own. In room 428, guests have heard heavy footsteps and the moving of furniture above them. This is odd because due to the slope of the roof uh, above the room, it's impossible. There's nothing above the room that could even make those types of noises. Then there's the billiard room back on the first floor. This is uh, well known to be F.O. Stanley's favorite room. There's an American flag that was gifted to the hotel by a soldier who frequented the Stanley in the room. And on this flag is a strange stain that seems to be in the shape of Mr. Stanley's face. And I do have a picture of that. It'll be in the show notes. It's a picture I took of the flag. The concert hall is a separate building from the main hotel. And the hall has its own ghost. There is a spirit named Paul. And Paul worked at the hotel doing this and that. He was also tasked with announcing the then 11 p.m. curfew. Many guests and employees have heard him have heard him tell them to get out of the concert hall when they are in there after hours. Then there is Lucy. Lucy was a young girl, probably around 13. She was a runaway who was found hiding in the basement of the concert hall by some maintenance men and was then forced to leave. That night, she froze to death in the sub-zero temperatures. There is even a quite interesting picture of Lucy. The pic was taken by Stephanie Reitel while on the ghost tour at the Stanley. In the photograph, there is a tour guide descending the stairs, and standing beside him is a young girl in a pink dress. That girl was not on the tour. Of course, we must not forget about Eddie, a spirit from the Stanley who seems to follow Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Rander of Hellier around wherever they go. And you can find out more of that on the YouTube series uh, Spirits of Stanley that I talked about earlier. There will be a link. Underneath the hotel is a series of man-made tunnels. Some of these tunnels were used by employees to get around the hotel easier, and some of the tunnels stretch out all over Estes Park. I think, I'm think i pretty sure it was an early attempt to uh, use steam heat to heat parts of the town. Most of these tunnels are closed off for safety reasons but employees have reported seeing a green mist in the tunnels, as well as cold spots and strange noises. If you look into the Stanley online, you'll find all these stories and more, uh, but Estes Park is a special place, and it buzzes with energy as the Stanley Hotel overlooks it. Uh, I've been there, as I've said. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. If you get a chance to visit Estes Park, don't pass it up. It really is, you know, I've been, I even went back this summer. I couldn't stay in the hotel because it was closed, obviously. We just kind of drove through on our way to hike. And it's just a, uh, I love that little place. But that is kind of it. Uh, the Stanley Hotel has a bunch of ghost stories. Some that I mean, I didn't even mention. You can get online and Google it 
and you'll find like you know the top seven ghost stories of the Stanley Hotel, the top ten ghost stories of the Stanley Hotel, and uh, you'll see some over and over again. But you'll you'll see some different ones pop up too. I could have gone on and on about it, but that is stop number one on tonight's show. Uh, we're going to do the boom, and we're going to come back and talk about the Driscoll. I like because it's, it's not it's not Driscoll like C O L. It's Driscoll. It's you know K I L. The Driscoll Hotel in uh, Austin, Texas. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So before I move on, interesting sign-out. So... I have this show in Logic Pro broken up into uh, different tracks, basically. So segment one has a track, this segment has a track, uh, the logo headlines has a track, yada, 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 yada. And I work on one at a time, and then when I get it done, I go back and I check all of the points that I screwed up and had to re-record over what I screwed up, and it always leaves a break, it always leaves a new segment there. So I always go back and check those, those breaks to make sure that they are what they're supposed to be. Like, I'm not accidentally overriding something I wanted, and now I sound weird. 
And then when I get done, I join the track in the one big long segment. And I, I've already forgotten where it was, but if you go back, or if you if you heard a loud like clang, like something falling off of something, I don't know what that was. I didn't hear it on the recording, and it was pretty loud. Like, and I'm not using crap headphones either, so for me to not have heard it when it was happening is very weird. So I'm not saying I caught some weird ghostly EVP, but I'm not saying I didn't. Actually, it was probably the cat, but it was it was interesting and a little little. Uh, a little creepy for a second. But let's move on to the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. I don't have any I don't have any tales of of uh Windex to tantalize you with here because I didn't stay here. But this is another not not quite I wouldn't got to say that it's it's got as many stories as the Stanley does, but when I said the the Stanley had a hard time getting going because of that explosion uh, the Driscoll really had a hard time getting going, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Let's talk about the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. Located where the deserts of the west and the lush forest of the east meet lies Austin, Texas. After Texas won its independence from Mexico, it shortly became its own republic, its own country in a sense. Uh, it had its own president, its own vice president, its own currency, all that jazz. The vice president of Texas at the time, Maribu Lamar, requested that the capital city be changed from Houston to what was then called Waterloo. Uh, Waterloo lay on crossroads at the time with better trade routes. Waterloo's name was changed to Austin after the father of Texas, Stephen F. Austin, the republic's first secretary of state. On December 20th, 1886, cattle baron Jesse Driscoll would open the Driscoll Hotel in downtown Austin. Colonel Driscoll would die of a stroke in 1890, and some say he has never left. Driscoll moved uh, to Austin from Missouri in 1849, and he started dabbling in the cattle trade, and by 1880, he had become a wealthy cattle baron. He built the hotel to rival the Grand Hotels of Chicago and New York. And over the years, the hotel would suffer many hardships, and uh, it ended up in the hands of many owners. Let's just go. So if you go to their website, I've linked it, they have a really great like, interactive timeline where you can just go through the whole timeline of the hotel and click on it. It'll give you some great pictures. So I'm just going to go. There's a lot of stuff on there, but I'm just going to go through like how many times the hotel closed and was reopened and sold off and all that because there's a lot going on there. A year after the hotel opened, a rival hotel called uh, the Galveston's, Galveston's Beach Hotel stole away half of the Driscoll staff, including most of the key and head staff. This caused the Driscoll to close. A year after that, in 1888, Driscoll reopened the hotel with new management. But soon, Jesse Driscoll would have bigger problems than keeping the hotel afloat. In 1888, a drought gripped the whole country, and a summer with no water and a harsh winter killed more than 3,000 head of his cattle. Not only would this cause the Driscoll to lose the cattle business, but he also had to sell the hotel. And he might have, I'm not sure, I kind of read this and I kind of didn't, uh, he might have sold the hotel, quotation marks, uh, by by losing it in a, in a gambling, in a, in a poker game. 
Later that year, the hotel would be acquired by Driscoll's brother-in-law, Doc Day. In 1895, Day traded the hotel for a vineyard in California to an actor uh, named M.B. Curtis. In 1894, the hotel was put up for auction, where it changed hands between investors twice. A group in New York bought it, and then they automatically turned around and sold it to a group in London. A year later, in 1895, another cattle baron, George Littlefield, would buy the hotel. He would be, uh, quote-unquote, the fifth owner. He put more than $60,000 into the building and updated it with steam heat and electricity and even opened a bank in the lobby. And I believe the bank vault is still in the lobby today, and you can go see it. In 1903, Littlefeld would sell the hotel to Edward Searling for $80,000. In 1969, the hotel would close for extensive renovations. However, the funding would fall through, and the Driscoll Hotel would almost be demolished. The hotel was saved by members in the community, and uh, they raised more than $2 million dollars to save it and get it back on track. Today, the hotel is owned by Hyatt Hotels, and so they're, they're, it's probably going to do all right. It's probably, it's probably here to stay for a little while. But much like the Stanley, the Driscoll has its own ghost stories. The elevators, at times, have been known to go to the wrong floors. Sometimes the doors will randomly open. Not really a ghost story, but just, I think, a fun little tidbit of either A, ghostly hauntings, or B, uh, not great, not great elevators. Uh, how about the railroad worker, Peter Lawless? He lived at the hotel for 31 years until he died in 1917. Both guests and staff have reported seeing Lawless coming out of elevators, checking his pocket watch, and nodding to hotel staff before disappearing. In 1887, Samantha Houston, the daughter of a Texas senator, died while chasing a ball. She tumbled down the main staircase. She was only four years old. Guests have heard the laughter of a small girl and have even heard the ball bounce around the halls. It is alleged that the center had a painting commission of her, which now hangs in the hotel. However, this isn't the case. Uh, the painting is actually a copy, like a modernized copy of, of love letters by an artist named Charles Trevor Garland. Uh, Garland was an English painter, so it's kind of a... I don't want to say like an urban legend, but kind of just a story that's popped up. So I, I, you know, I don't think that the ghost story is quote unquote fake or not, or, you know, unfactual, but uh, I'm not so sure about the, the painting that everyone associates with it. Room 525 is the Driscoll's room 217. As the story goes, a newlywed woman committed suicide in the bathtub of that room. Then 20 years later, Another woman also committed suicide in the same room, in the same manner, and also on her honeymoon. They are known as the Suicide Brides. And while the story cannot be substantiated, there have been two suicides at the hotel. It goes back to what I always say, like, it's a great story, but I couldn't find any names, and I couldn't find any, any hard stories to kind of back it up. But who knows? I've never stayed there. Maybe other people, you know, if you've stayed there and you've kind of encountered these brides, I would love to hear about it. And of course, there's Colonel Driscoll himself. He has been seen wandering the halls from time to time, and guests have said that they have smelled his cigar smoke. There is even a painting of him, and this one is of him, 
uh, in the lobby on the main staircase. So if you look at uh, some wide shots of it, I have a picture in the show notes, but it's more of the painting. So the, 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 the staircase kind of goes up straight, and then it branches off into a left path and then a right path. And right there in the middle where it branches is this large painting of, uh, of Driscoll. Many people have said that they have been watched, or they feel like they're being watched by the painting of Driscoll when they when they walk by it. And, you know, you get that a lot with haunted paintings. There may be an episode coming up in Season 5 that's all about some creepy paintings. Because um, I've got all the Season 4 stuff planned out, and now I'm searching in the Season 5. Uh, like, I didn't, I didn't put this in the notes because I don't, you know, once again, that, that painting is just a copy. But people have said that the, the painting will sometimes be smiling and sometimes it won't of the little girl. And, of course, and they, you know, they say the same thing about the, the painting of Driscoll, that the eyes sometimes are in different positions. But I would like to see some, I would love to see some pictures. But once again, if anyone stayed at the, this hotel, because I have not, uh, I would love to hear if anyone has any stories like, I found a little article, you know, like, Cindy Lauper has stayed in the hotel and, and you know, has seen some stuff. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was a big fan of the hotel. He, he, he met his wife there. That's where he held, like, when he was running for president. That's where they all kind of got together for the election results and stuff like that. So it's not only a big kind of haunted hotel. It's just, you know, a very, an epicenter in Austin with an interesting history and, you know, a lot of... A lot of just historic goings on there. So if you're ever looking for a place to stay in Austin, then the Driscoll will most certainly do. Who knows what you might see? And that is that is the, the uh, Driscoll Hotel. It's a really opulent and uh, neat-looking place, and I'm glad that it's still around. But those are our uh, haunted hotels for this episode. We're going to take... Uh, a little break here. We're going to listen to some music. I don't know what I'm going to play. I don't got anything new today. I'll find something and put it in there. And then we're going to come back with, of course, uh, the local headlines. Got some Nessie stuff, if you haven't heard about it. Probably have. And some other stuff going on uh, right after the music here. So don't go away, because it's a podcast. Once again, it's not a radio show. Why would you go away?
Ah, you hear that? That is the sound of uh, local headlines. You can tell because that means if you can hear that whirring noise, you always know we're going to do local headlines because that means I have three bloated news websites loaded up on my MacBook that is causing the fan to come on and get picked up on the mic. This first one, I didn't even notice this until right now. Uh, I opened up the link and I noticed that it's from KVIEW, ABC, and I was like, that sounds awfully familiar. And then I, and then I realized it's, it's on my sources for the Trisco Hotel. I used it for um, some information from there. So this story is also maybe not in Austin, but it's in Caldwell County. It's in the same county. And so let's talk about this one. This is a 34-year-old Austin man claims he was chased by aliens before allegedly shooting and killing two in Caldwell County. This is by Patrick Perez. Conwell County, Texas. An Austin man has been arrested and charged in connection with a shooting that left two people dead in Conwell County on Tuesday evening. According to an affidavit, 34-year-old Brian Haynes told his brothers he was being chased by aliens in an ATV and indicated that he had shot the two aliens with his gun, emptying two 17-round magazines and two 10-round magazines. According to the Codwell County Sheriff's Office, Haynes was arrested at home in Barstop County on Tuesday afternoon. Haynes is accused of killing 18-year-old Clayton Manning and 16-year-old cousin and his 16-year-old cousin near the 4400 block of Tenery Creek in Tillman on June 9th. Sheriff's deputies found the bodies near the area along, along with a utility vehicle and it appears as though the victims were driving down the road when they encountered the suspect. The Texas line of deputy death that wait, wait again. The Texas line of deputy death task force identified Manning as a volunteer firefighter with the Southeast Caldwell County Volunteer Fire Department. A community prey vigil will be held in Lothian, Texas on Sunday, June 14th from 6 p.m. until 7 p.m. at Longer Park. The Southeast Caldwell County Volunteer Fire Department said in a Facebook post that they would be escorting Manning and his cousin back to Lawling from Austin on Monday, June 15th at 10 a.m. Hayes is being held in the Caldwell County Jail on a $500,000 bond on capital murder charge, and he's the only suspect in the case. So it's a tragic story, but I wanted to uh, just include it because it's, you know, you the weird stuff that you hear about that all the time of... He's obviously on drugs, and he saw these two guys and thought they were aliens and, you know, did what he did. But kind of a downer, but I, th- I thought it was an interesting story to bring the light. But let's let's uh, liven it back up with a ghost cat story. Uh, this is from the Daily Star in the UK. Uh, has videos, but it's the Daily Star, so you probably won't be able to play them. But uh, this is Cat Owner's Pet Camera Captures Ghost of Dead Feline curled up on her sofa. And this is written, I just saw the name, by Tiffany Lowe. A woman was left stunned when she found what appeared to be the ghost of her dead cat sitting on her sofa at home. Reddit user, I don't know how to quite say this because it's a Reddit name and they're always weird, uh, Sholshan, I believe, posted her home surveillance footage and took it to the forum to seek an answer. She explained her cat, Blackjack, passed away exactly one year ago on May 24th, the day she caught this ghost on the camera. 
In the clip, one of her two other cats jumps off a bed and walks out a corridor to greet her as she comes into her house. At the same time, a black shadow seems to appear on the cream-colored sofa and curls up on a cluster of pillows. Sounds like pretty typical cat behavior. When she turns on the light to the room, Blackjack becomes more visible on camera. The user explained in the comments that there were pillows on the sofa that were against the back and nothing black on there. She mentioned that the cat used to sleep on the sofa most of the time. Once again, sounds very cat-like, but not necessarily uh, in that particular spot. The cat owner also ruled out the possibility that her other cat was on the sofa, as she said they are mostly white with brown ginger and black patches. The post has since been upvoted more than 1,200 times and has attracted more than 170 comments. Viewers have divided opinions on the paranormal activity, as some believe the dead feline spirit paid her a visit on the anniversary, and others thought it was just a bag. Uh, one said, That is your black cat who passed sitting on the couch. People talk about people in the spirit form who have attachments to certain places, but our animals who have an attachment may also appear to us. A second one agreed. That's some pretty compelling evidence. Definitely looks like a black cat sitting there, and you can clearly see, clearly see him with your own eyes when you walked into the room. A third viewer, however, pointed out it was there throughout the whole video as well. It didn't materialize. It just turned black when the camera went on from vision to color. A fourth added, you can see the outline from the beginning. It doesn't materialize. It just appears because of a different light mode. At first I was oppressed and thought it was a cat materializing, but now that I've watched it four to five times, I can see it clear in day. Yeah, it looks like a cat, but I don't think it's anything paranormal as it doesn't move. And I guess I, I kind of looked at it here a little bit. There is no video on the website, which is weird. Uh, there's just a couple of screenshots, but it's kind of, I mean, it looks very cat-like. You can see little ears. It looks black. It does look like a face looking at you. Um, I don't know if it's a bag. I don't know if it's a ghost cat either, but they're, you know, I, I don't know. I've seen worse ghost photos of of even ghost cats. But this last one has been making the rounds, and uh, so i got to talk about it on here. And this is from uh, Syracuse.com by, uh, oh, I forgot the name. Something someone, something Herbert. Hold on, let me take it out of here. Da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, sorry. By Jeff Herbert. So let's read, Is the Loch Ness Monster Real? Mm -hmm. New Photo Fuels Speculation. A new photo is fueling speculation that the Loch Ness Monster is real. The Daily Record reports a tourist named Steve Shallis snapped pictures of what he thought was a big fish creating ripples in Scotland's Loch Ness. The alleged creature, about two to five meters long, quickly popped up and then disappeared below the water. It only appeared in one shot, and to be honest, it was something of a fluke, he told the UK publication. According to Yahoo News, Chalice said he didn't go through the photos from his Scottish vacation until the coronavirus lockdown, and now is asking Facebook users what they think that is. Took this in Loch Ness last September, but I don't know what kind of fish it is, he posted in the Anomalous Universe group along with a photo. Copies have been widely shared on Twitter and other sites, raising questions. Chalice denied allegations the image was photoshopped and hasn't suggested it's Nessie, but Loch Ness Monster became a trending topic on social media, as many suggested it could be evidence of the mythical creature's existence. However, Loch Ness mystery blogger Roland Watson said there's a big red flag in his claims. So I first found out uh, more about our photographer and discovered on his LinkedIn page 
that he was a 3D graphical artist. Uh, he had portfolio of images of various constructions, such as the one, the one below. And to be clear, he earns a living creating CGI computer-generated images, uh, Watson wrote on his blog. A longtime Loch Ness monster hunter also poured cold water on the sea creature theories in 2015 when he said he doesn't think Nessie exists at all. Looking at all the evidence, speaking to eyewitnesses, its most likely uh, solution is a Wells catfish. Which makes sense. Well, catfish are can be gigantic, and they can totally be two meters long. Uh, Steve Feltman said, after 24 years of investigating Loch Ness, most catfish can grow up to 13 feet long and weigh nearly 900 pounds. They were added to the lake in the 19th century for sport fishing. I have to be honest, I just don't think that Nessie is a prehistoric monster. I don't think it's a prehistoric monster either. I don't think it doesn't exist. I just don't think it's a big, uh, big plesiosaur. The myth of Nessie originated in the 6th century when Irish monk St. Columbia was said to have banished a water beast to the River Ness. A 1934 surgeon's photo made Nessie famous, though the black and white image of the head and neck pointing on the water was revealed to be a hoax 60 years later. New reports and theories of Nessie sightings emerge nearly every year. A 30-foot sea monster was found on the Highland Lakes in 2016, but it turned out to be a leftover movie prop from the 1970 film A Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. A large 164-million-year-old fossil was found in another lake in Edinburgh, Scotland. Researchers called the 13-foot uh, ichthyosaur a dolphin-like dinosaur, the Storrs Loch Monster. Yeah, even at the end of that, didn't I? But there you go, another Nessie sighting. Uh, the photo... It does. To me, it does look like a catfish, like a Welsh catfish. Uh, it's got a big arched back. It's got the little spots that, that catfish are known to have. But who knows? The, the Loch Ness Monster could just be uh, a gigantic catfish. They say, yar, that there are uh, catfish the size of Volkswagen bugs in the Ohio River that could eat you in one gulp. So why not? Um, like I said, I don't think that Nessie is a, a plesiosaur. I think it is some sort of giant creature that we know exists, like a large, very, 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 very large eel or uh, something like that. But that has been this episode's local headlines, which means I can close the Safari browser now. Yay. And uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna do a boom, and we're gonna come back, and I've got a couple of your small town secrets to share. So before we get into uh, your small town secret, I just want to give everyone a little trigger warning real quick. The second story is a pretty tragic tale about a circus elephant from the turn of the century. So I just want to let everyone know that. So if it's something you feel you don't want to listen to, you can you can skip over it. Okay, tonight on uh, your small town secrets, I've got a couple here just to read. The first one is from Bailey, who coincidentally is uh, one of the people on the show for the promo that we played earlier. Also, coincidentally, it's a story about a haunted hotel. Also, coincidentally, it's a story about a haunted hotel in Texas. Uh, not the Driscoll, but almost. Got it. Got it. Close. Uh, so here's her, here's her little tale. I was staying at the Menger Hotel in San Antonio, Texas, on vacation. I was 14-ish with my cousin, 25, and mom. My cousin and mom went to go get breakfast and bring it back, and I jumped into the shower. I am not a morning person, and halfway through my shower, I was like, 
Fuck, I forgot my towels in my room. I poked my head out to see if there was a spare or anything out there, but there was nothing. So I rinsed off and came to the conclusion that I traped through soaking wet. No big deal. I opened the shower curtain and looked around, and there were two perfectly folded hotel towels on the toilet lid waiting for me. So I was like, huh, I guess my mom is back. I go into the room because of the three of us were staying in one room with two beds, and no one is there. A bit later, my mom and cousin walk in and ask, uh, and I ask them if they got me any towels or came back, when, and they both insisted that they were down the block getting breakfast the whole time. Then my mom says, well, I told you this hotel is haunted, especially the, especially the older section that she requested the room for. I did some Googling later and found out that Sally White, a maid at the Menger, was murdered by her husband on the steps, and she has been seen by people still doing maid things. So I think Sally was just looking out for me. And uh, so there you go. Another haunted hotel story. That's three for those episodes. Uh, and this next one was sent to me by Scott, and this is about Murderous Mary. Uh, this is his little email that he wrote. I live in Irwin, Tennessee. I grew up there. Our town charged an elephant, a circus elephant, with murder in the 1930s. Her sentence, death by hanging. Uh, there's plenty of information on this topic. So, yeah, I did. I found a article by historicalphotos.com, which has... A nice little write-up about it and some pictures. I've seen this picture before, but it, it's it's one of those... I mean, yeah, it's taken in the 1930s and it's black and white. And it's not a very good picture. So I always kind of thought... And it's a tragic story. Like, it's stupid. Why, why hang an elephant? It doesn't know what it did. You can't punish an elephant by, by execution. It doesn't know. It's an elephant. It has no concept for that. But that's the way we were in the 30s, I guess. But it, it looks really weird and fake because I guess just you've never... You can't fathom in your mind what an elephant hanging would look like, but it's a real picture, and this is the story behind it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cue this up real quick. Um, so Mary was a five-ton Asian elephant, also known as Murderous Mary, who performed in the Sparks World Famous Show Circus. After killing a trainer in Kingsport, Tennessee, she was hanged. Oh, in 1916. Her death is sometimes interpreted as a cautionary tale of circus animal abuse during the early 20th century. On September 12, 1960, a hobo named Walter Elridge, nicknamed Red because of his rusty colored hair, was hired as an assistant elephant trainer. Because that's where the best elephant trainers come from, are just hobos off of the railroads. Uh, by the Sparks World Famous Show Circus. A drifter who had been with the circus only a day, he had no experience of handling elephants, but the only qualification required was the ability to wield an elephant stick, a rod with a sharp spear at one end. Eldridge led the elephant parade riding on the top of Mary's back. Mary was the star of the show, riding at the front. There have been several accounts of the death, one recounted by W.H. Coleman, who proclaimed to be a witness, is that he prodded her behind the ear with a hook after she reached down to nibble on a watermelon rind. She went into a range, snatched Eldridge with her trunk, and threw him against a drink stand and stepped on his head, crushing it. As the terrified spectators screamed and fled, a local blacksmith shot Mary with a pistol, unloading five rounds of ammunition into her thick hide to little effect. She stood still, suddenly calm again and seemingly oblivious, 
both to the bullets and the commotion as the townsfolk encircled with chants of, Kill the elephant, kill the elephant. The circus owner, Charlie Sparks, reluctantly decided that the only way to quickly resolve the potentially ruinous situation was to kill the elephant in public. It was decided to hang the elephant by the neck from a rail car mounted from a rail car mounted industrial crane on the following day. Uh, foggy and rainy, so that kind of that kind of tells you why the photos are bad. Foggy, uh, rainy September thirteenth, nineteen sixteen. Mary was transported by rail to Unicole County, Tennessee, where a crowd of over twenty five hundred people, including most of the town's children, assembled in the Clitchfield Railroad yard. As she was led to the railway yard, Mary was followed by the circus's other four elephants, each intertwining their trunks and tail to the animal in front, just as they had done on countless parades. Charlie Sparks hoped that their presence would keep her compliant, but as she was as the chain was placed around her neck at the scaffold, they trumpeted mournfully to her and feared that she might try to run away. To stop this happening, one of her legs was tethered to a rail and no one thought to release it from the derrick as it whirled into action and she was hoisted into the air. There was an awful crackling noise as the sound of her bones and ligaments snapping under the strain. She had been raised no more than five feet when the chain around her neck broke, dropping her to the ground and breaking her hip. The industrial crane was powered up again and this time Mary was raised into the air, her thick legs thrashing as she agonized shrieks and grunts, audible even over the laughter and cheers of those watching below. Finally, she fell silent and hung there for half an hour before a local vet declared her dead. Her gruesome end is recorded in a photograph so horrifically surreal that some have suggested it must be a fake, but all too sadly, its authenticity has been confirmed by other reports and photographs taken at the time. And yeah, it's a, you know, it's a terribly, just a dumb thing to do at a tragic story, but once again, one of those that I think people need to know about. Yeah, this was back in 1916, but still kind of from a circus that, you know, I don't know, I guess, like, the guy, the guy that owned the circus kind of was like, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to, because I ain't going to make that money, but there you are, a uh, tragic tale from Tennessee, thanks, thanks there, Scott, and that's going to be uh, your small town secrets for this episode, and that will about do it for this week's a show, a nice little, just 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 a little under an hour, nice little episode about some haunted hotels. And uh, once again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank everyone for supporting the show. This week, we just hit uh, over 50,000 downloads, 50,000 listens. Uh, and that's, you know, I mean, the show's been a little over a year and a half. So I think that's doing pretty good. So uh, once again, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for continuing to listen. And uh, you know what to do. If you have a story you want to share, please head on over to stscast.com. Scroll down the bottom of the main page. There's an email form where you can shoot me your own story like Scott did there. Uh, or you can get at me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter and Facebook are at stscast. Instagram is at stscast.gram. Uh, you can... Talk to me on social media. I'm most active on Twitter. You can get me stories through there. Uh, you want to come on the show and do a little interview over Skype or Zoom or whatever. You want to send in an article. You want to send in a tale of your own personal experience. You know, true crime, Bigfoot, UFOs, hauntings, all that jazz. It's all on the table. 
But uh, let me know. We'll get it on the show. If you would like to pick up some merch, uh, T-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, phone cases, there is a link for that on the main page as well. Under the merch tab, there are other ways to support the show financially if you would like. The Patreon is coming up. Uh, you can do a PayPal donation if you would like. You can also use the ACAST supporter for a one-time donation if you would like to do that. You probably heard a little stinger thing for it at the beginning of the show, which I didn't know it was going to do that, but now it does. And, uh, yeah. But if you can't support the show financially, uh, just let let everyone know. You know, tell a friend. If everyone gets one person, if everyone that listens to the show gets one more person to listen to the show, then uh, the listenership doubles. And uh, if you can, please leave a review on iTunes or whatever, whatever, you know, app you use to listen to the show, because that will just help it float to the top and get more ears on it. But I'm going to wrap it up for tonight and get it out there. Once again, thank you so much for listening. 50,000 listens. Let's uh, let's move on to 100,000 listens. And uh, I'll uh, talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember... Every town has a secret. What is yours? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.